0: Hello and welcome to Advancing Resiliency in Education with Jen and Jen. My name is Jennifer Baker, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and my co-host is Jennifer Johnson, licensed clinical social worker. We invite you to listen in as we respond to real questions on current mental health topics from educators. Our hope is that the ideas, stories, and experiences shared on this podcast will help you build resiliency and well-being in your own lives. Welcome back. Jen, it's really great to see you today it's great to see you as well Jen so the month of September is a pretty important month as it's dedicated to addressing suicide prevention which kind of rolls into many of the questions that we've been receiving around suicide prevention intervention and concerns and one of those questions was sent in as this as a teacher I always seem to be presented with a new expectation such as another suicide intervention, and I get overwhelmed and even resentful. It's not my job to treat suicidality, and I'm not trying to sound uninvolved or uncaring. I actually pride myself on being connected and being there for my students. So while this is a statement, there's a, a lot of questions that we could read into that, right, that we might be able to, to address.
1: Yes, I agree. I think that sometimes when i take a look at the school trainings that are offered to teachers you know i'm always seeing a suicide intervention training rather it be qpr or or safe talk or or whatever it may be there's a number of them out out there but i'm often seeing that that is an expectation for teachers so this is a good opportunity to kind of help everyone understand the difference between being a treatment provider for suicidality versus being the person that intervenes and refers the student out to receive treatment. And so when we can make that distinction, number one, it should help teachers feel a little bit more calmer, a little bit more grounded, and also giving them permission to stay in their scope, Mm -hmm. stay in their lane. Um, You know, teachers have a lot on their plates already, and even more uh, now on their plate than they ever have had before, you know, due to COVID. Um, so the last thing we want to do is is have teachers mistake themselves for being a treatment provider and to throw on a whole nother scope of work, a whole nother task on their plate. Um, we really just kind of need to slow it down and be respectful of what teachers do. and And teachers are not treatment providers. Mm-hmm. And the the majority of suicide prevention trainings that are offered to them are not about providing treatment. the The various suicide uh, prevention trainings that are in fact presented at schools and presented to teachers are really capitalizing on the fact that teachers see children day in and day out. Rather it be face to face they see them or through a Zoom screen. Um, Teachers have such close, healthy, intimate relationships with our children. They see them every day. They see them for long hours um, at a time. And so the teachers are typically catching subtle nuances Mm -hmm. um, that let them know that this child's not doing so well that this child's not doing as well this week as the child was doing weeks ago. This child's not doing so well in fourth grade and I knew them in third grade and they were doing much better in third grade. Um, So teachers really have their eyes on our children. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they're able to make sure that our children many times get the interventions and the referrals that they need to not only succeed academically, but also to succeed in life. And, And if I can be so just blunt, to survive in life. Uh, teachers, rather they know it or not, have saved so many of our children. Yes, they have. I'm sure you've seen that throughout the years of your work with
0: schools. Yeah, absolutely. It's really being able to see those signs and symptoms is what you're kind of talking, is what you're talking about, that I think they're struggling. What I'm hearing from from teachers and counselors and clinicians is the fact that they're just not having that contact like they did before. They're not able to see the daily kind of ins and outs. And I go back to just referring them to their training. They think that it's really difficult via the screen or on the phone to really see those signs and symptoms, but there are ways, and they have learned ways through, you mentioned QPR, which is Question, Persuade, Refer, Mm -hmm. and that is one of the basic trainings that in our area, many of the teachers, clinicians, counselors,
1: district staff are trained to use. Yeah, and so even though it's through the screen right now, before one could question there was something that a teacher saw through the screen. Like you said, the signs are symptoms. And so there was something that they saw, there was something that they picked up on. Uh, maybe the uh, student is communicating differently than they have in the past. Maybe the student is communicating that they feel like a burden. And feeling like mm-hmm. a burden is a symptom and sign of suicidality. Um, maybe what they're doing is they're, they're hearing the student talk in really negative, negative ways about themselves and a negative view of self, that is actually a sign and symptom. Maybe the teacher is, is hearing the student describe how isolated and alone they feel, even more so than what maybe COVID is bringing us. There's just that intensity of isolation and feeling alone. Well, that too is a sign and symptom of suicidality. And then one last one, maybe the teacher is, is communicating with the class and picking up on um, language that is letting that teacher know, wow, that child feels like um, they have no hope for the future. So all of a sudden, the child's not talking in future terms anymore. Um, they have become hopeless. And so that teacher is picking up that language difference. And so that is that is the the beauty of a teacher having some communication, rather it be through the chat box, mm-hmm. rather it be through uh, the, the, the platform, the video platform, back and forth, the teacher is still the one that is able to hear some of that communication, and they pick up that this is different than it once was. So, then they could move into the intervention practices that they've been talked about, that they've been taught about. And so, you mentioned QPR. Well, the moment that a teacher picks up on some of these subtle language changes, they can go right on in. Maybe do a breakout room with this kid, or or a direct chat box, private chat box with this child, or make them um, stay afterwards and chat mm-hmm. with them, and then go directly for that question part. You know, the QPR, go go right for that questioning part. Mm-hmm. You know, other um, suicide prevention programs all have all have the same commonalities. Like for instance, you know, QPR, QPRs question, but. There's also ask, listen, and refer. So some teachers have been taught that one, the ALR Mm -hmm. model. Well, that's ask. So the Q and the A are very similar, question and ask. And again, you would only question and ask once you've already picked up on some subtle nuances. Mm -hmm. And uh, suicide
0: safe talk is talk. It's talk, ask, listen, and keep safe. So very similar kind of progression, but but it really comes down to if you Feel that there might be something that's concerning, you need to ask. And one of the biggest myths about suicide is that if I ask
1: about suicide, it's gonna put it in their head and they're gonna start thinking about suicide. hmm We even see this with other demographics. The, the thought that if I even talk about it and I ask about it, that yeah, I'm, I'm making it worse. There was a program very similar to all of these suicide intervention programs and it was, it was in, from the Army. It's the Army ACE. A-C-E, ask, care, and escort. And again, it runs very similar to all the other ones, and the first one being ask. And so training that population, training training veterans and soldiers to educate them that you asking does not increase the chances of suicidality, as a matter of fact, it's the opposite. You asking, you questioning, you talking about it, um, does not increase it. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. It decreases it. It's a relief. Yes. Somebody's actually seeing that I'm
0: suffering, that I'm struggling, and they're asking me so I have the opportunity to share
1: what I'm feeling and experiencing. It is, it's such a life ring, right? right? It's such a life ring that gets tossed out there. And if we subscribe to the myth that asking about it is going to cause it, then what you're doing is you're walking around and you're holding on to life rings that should be being tossed out left and right. Mm -hmm. And so I would say all the way back to the original statement that comes in from a teacher, um, understanding all the commonalities amongst the suicide intervention training, no matter which one it is, no matter if you're being trained on Safe Talk, if you're being trained on QPR, if you're being trained on ALR, um, no matter which one it is, recognize the commonality is you being able to directly ask, right? To ask that student, hey, what's going on right now? You seem, you seem rather sad. You seem rather withdrawn. I am not hearing as much hope in your language as I have in the past. Um, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Are you thinking of ending your life? When we give teachers permission to ask that question, they are intervening. Mm-hmm. They, that is suicide intervention. And so the next part of all of these programs, of all of these practices is just to create some sacred safe space that you can receive what the student responds back with. Whatever the student is gonna answer and say back, you wanna create some sacred safe space where you're truly listening, you're truly taking it in. You might even offer up some validating words when they're telling you about, yeah, this is really rough, I'm really struggling. You can validate that by simply saying, I hear you that it's really rough so
0: well one of the things i want to just interject real quick jen is that in in doing trainings on suicide a lot of it is around feeling uncomfortable Uh, so even with listening so i was i want to go back a little bit with the ask that question of the ask practicing that ask question go ahead and and pull out the guide so that you can be reading that right along with your student as well and then that listening to that's that uncomfortable that this person talked about as well, it's feeling kind of overwhelmed. It's, it's kind of an overwhelming experience when someone tells you that
1: they, they're thinking about killing themselves. Very overwhelming. And just like you said, to the point where people shut down and then don't ask. Right. Um, so maybe it would be a good idea just to ramble through maybe a couple of question-like phrases that can be used. Um, and again, this is common amongst all the suicide interventions. So. Let's take a look at one. Here's here's a less direct approach. Um, Have you been unhappy lately? Have you been very unhappy lately? Have you been so very unhappy lately that you're thinking about ending your life? Um, Do you ever wish you could go to sleep and never wake up? So those are a few questions that after you see some signs and symptoms, you know Mm -hmm. you need to move forward and ask or question. That might be one way. There are some more direct questions and they would sound like this. You know, when people are as upset as you seem to be, they sometimes wish they were dead. I'm wondering if you are feeling that way too. Have you ever wanted to stop living? You look pretty upset, bothered, stressed, overwhelmed. I wonder if you're thinking about suicide, Mm -hmm. going right in and even using the word. I really like when
0: you actually see the, the signs and symptoms, and, and you say, you know, you are, you're looking really stressed, you're looking really upset, what's going on? Is Are you thinking about suicide?
1: Yeah, and so you're almost giving that permission to permission, right? You're giving that person permission to go ahead and elaborate and expand on, yes, this is what's going on, and since you said the S word, since you said suicide, yeah, I, I have thought about it. Mm-hmm. Two last, um, or one, one last one, direct way of asking is, Are you thinking about killing yourself? Hmm. So those are really, really direct styles of of questioning. The one thing that we don't want to do, how not to ask about suicide, I just always like to throw this out there. We don't ever want to pose the question like this. You're not suicidal, are you? (laughs) Right. You're not thinking about killing yourself, are you? Mm -hmm. Because then then you're letting it be known that you're looking for a no answer. Right. and no matter how upset someone is they still have a desire to often please and so they're going to give you what you want which is a no answer right. right, and the other thing that I say to people is that just
0: asking once isn't enough because someone may not be feeling it in that moment or may not want to answer it in that moment not feel safe enough but if you ask again and you can always put it in the way that you may not be feeling this way now but I might ask you again later just know I'm doing that because I care so much about you It's not just to be bugging you and asking you every five minutes, are you thinking about suicide? But I know it comes and goes like
1: waves, right? Just Mm -hmm. like depression, it kind of comes in and it goes out. So true, so true, and I, I, I like that, Jen, because now the teacher has given themselves permission to bring up a really difficult topic once again. I would almost see how it would benefit if the teacher was able to make this additional statement. I agree with you that life is so rough. I see that life is rough. I experience that life is rough at times. And so that's also why I'm gonna come back and ask you again in the future. And the reason why I'd like to add that component is because now you and the student are in agreement about a fact. And the fact is, life is rough. Life is tough at times, despite being in COVID or not. Despite doing online teaching or not, it doesn't matter. Even pre-COVID, we had tough times. Mm -hmm. And so it might be beneficial to not only the student, but also the teacher to state a clear fact. And the fact is, life is tough. Then that gives that student and the teacher permission to bring the conversation up again in the future because life is tough now, and it will be tough in the future at a different time. It'll be tough again in the future at another time. The difference is that sometimes it's hopefully peppered with other experiences, neutral experiences, joyful experiences, Mm -hmm. um, healing and recovery experiences. Um, But again, I I like stating facts, and facts let people feel heard. And so I'm hoping that if a teacher is listening to this right now, they know how important it is to let our students know that I hear you. Mm -hmm. And one way to let a student know that I hear you how difficult life is is by repeating it back. Life is really tough right now. I hear you. I get it. And so I might check in with you again in in a couple weeks from now. Rather, I do it through the chat box, online, or or I call. Give me a call. Yeah. So to kind of sum up a little
0: bit here, we have the piece where we see a sign and symptom, or we hear a sign or a symptom. Mm -hmm. We may ask the question directly at that point in time. We're listening, and with listening, we're also validating. And then there's the
1: refer part, right? Mm -hmm. So. This is where the treatment piece comes in. It's not the teacher that now does the treatment provision or the treatment services. That teacher now begins the referral process. So think heavens we have teachers because they had their eyes on that student and they caught the signs and symptoms and then they threw out a question. And based on the response that they got from that child, they can now do the referral process. And every school and every district has their own referral processes. Um, Teachers need to become acquainted with that. Sometimes the referral process is as as simple as calling an in-house program, an in-house, an in-school district program and calling them and saying, hey, you know, I've got got Johnny um, in one of my classes and um, I'm really concerned about him, so I asked him point blank if he was, how he was doing, and some of the responses I got back, I don't think he's doing so well, so I need to make the referral. And if it's an in-house program, then that in-house program will either have a school-based clinician or a school-based counselor or a school-based case, case manager reach out to that child. And then sometimes it's an outside referral process, um, and so the school might give permission to contact a, a local nonprofit, an outpatient
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, agency, or whatnot. And and also sometimes the school principal and the um, vice principal and and maybe a a liaison between the school and families in need, they get involved and they reach out to the family. So it's really important to know whatever your school processes are. I was gonna say that. So law requirement is that each school have
0: a crisis intervention plan, specifically around suicide. So we urge you all to go to your school districts, Ask them what it is. You should be being trained on that if, if you're within a district. If this is a parent or family member that's listening to this, know that you can reach out to your district office and ask them what their policies are around crisis intervention and response so that you can be sure that they, they have a flowchart, a protocol and procedure that they're to follow if this were to happen.
1: The, the ease in which you will develop after you know the, the, the policy Um, is so liberating so as a teacher you know once I know the policy at this particular school or that particular school I feel liberated I feel at more ease and and so that's what we would want for teachers but that is that is your handoff to the treatment world it's not that you as teachers are supposed to be providing the treatment the suicide treatment Um, it's that you want to do a nice handoff and you cannot do that handoff if you don't know the school policies and procedures and I've seen some schools out there that have some some fantastic in-house programs where uh, a teacher could even leave a message and say hey reach out to this student please and then that in-house uh, program is it's reaching out and making connection And so that's what we really want I have worked with a number of teachers where they saw the signs and symptoms they did everything right they asked the question they they posed the questions they created safe space for the child's response and then what really hurt the teacher the most, is it seemed that the referral process got kind of hung up. And so what I would want all teachers to know is that sometimes the referral process does get hung up, but it's not because anybody has done anything wrong from the school side. The teacher did what they were supposed to do, the school personnel did what they were supposed to do, but for sometimes a number of reasons, a family unit might not be willing Hmm. to accept treatment might not be willing to follow up on the referral. The student themselves might be rejecting of the referral. The parent might be interfering with the referral. And so we have to remind ourselves that the entire process can fall down in different areas. But I'm really hoping that people can recognize you can't turn around and shame talk yourself for following the research. The research directions are this. Pay attention to signs and symptoms. Mm Then pose questions, rather it be ask or question, whatever um, suicide Mm -hmm. intervention program you follow, pose questions. Then the next step is allow the person to respond and you really listen, you create safe space to listen to that response. And then the very last one is hand off, referral, refer out. So if we follow the evidence-based practices and the research-supported practices, then we are making good faith effort on the benefit of that child. That's really what we're doing.
0: So Jen, we've really talked about a lot of the commonalities of the various suicide trainings that one might receive, whether they're a teacher or whether they're in the community, but we really wanna stress the fact that this would not take place in lieu of training that they have already received or would need to receive through their districts, correct?
1: Correct, absolutely. That's such a good point, Jen. So um, this podcast, does not take the place of a training. Um, The the need for training is is there. Really what this podcast is attempting to do is to help teachers and school staff and school personnel and other listeners to help them conceptualize really what most suicide prevention trainings are attempting to do. And and so we're really conceptualizing um, some of the steps within them. We're conceptualizing why do we ask right why do we question you know and and then how do we listen and and then how do we refer and so it's an attempt to conceptualize all of the commonalities amongst the suicide prevention trainings out there despite which one you are taking as long as you are taking at least one Mm -hmm. Uh, so no it does not take the place um,
0: yeah and as i said in the beginning a lot of what i'm doing is just reminding teachers administrators counselors clinicians to go back to their training that just because it's on mm. Zoom just because they're doing it over the phone doesn't mean that that is forgotten we use the same techniques over and over and over again and i will be sure to link know the signs suicide is preventable nami has great resources mm. many other vetted organizations have really simple ways that you can kind of fo- that you can follow to ask these questions and follow along exactly what we did today.
1: That's perfect, that's perfect. And then hopefully the, hopefully, any listener comes a, comes away with recognizing that this is uh, uh, not treatment provision, not treatment services, that you're, you're intervening, you're an observer that saw something and so you said something and that saves lives. And that saves lives.
0: Jen and I want those of you who are listening that may be having thoughts of suicide to know that you are not alone. There are many sources of support available right now The Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 offers 24-7 free confidential assistance from trained counselors. Other local and national supports are also included in the notes. Remember that many people who find themselves in a suicide crisis can and do recover. We all must continue to shine the light of awareness all year as together we can foster the hope and resiliency needed to face life's challenges. Support shared during today's episode is for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. As always, Jen and I wish you well and look forward to you joining us on the next episode of Advancing Resiliency in Education.